Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Soccer Rangers podcast, where we talk about conventions, cosplay, and nerddom in general. And tonight, we have a very special episode. It's so special, we had to duct tape Amy's mouth shut just so we could get through the introduction without her going and announcing herself. Ladies and gentlemen, you liked our Mortal Kombat deep dive so much, we had to go back and do another. This time around a film that I don't think most of our audience even knows exists. It's gone by a couple of different names. But, as it was originally intended for release, we're going to talk about The Thief and the Cobbler. The Thief and the Cobbler! You took the duct tape off, Tyler! <laughs> uh... I think her saliva just breaks down adhesive. <laughs> That's news. It's impressive. New fact. New fact. Put, huh. it, put it in the wiki. Put it in the wiki. Wiki. Specifically. <laughs> Amy's saliva breaks down adhesive. We have a soccer con wiki. <laughs> Doesn't everything soccer have a rangers wiki? wiki. Soccer rangers. <laughs> everything, wiki. everything has a wiki. I. That's a good question. And God, for, I hope nobody's made a wiki for us. For your listening pleasure, we will essentially read the Thief and the Cobbler wiki to you. No, no, we actually did a lot of research on this one. Yeah, I was actually kind of surprised. So I have been aware of this movie for a while. I saw it a couple of years ago after uh, watching a Rebel Taxi video talking about lost media and specifically bringing up the recobbled cut something I'd never heard of, and something that we'll get into a little bit later. But it's a film that I've weirdly had some passion for, largely because of a documentary called The Persistence of Vision. And I was absolutely shocked when Amy and Tyler brought up the fact that they not only had seen the released version of the film, but had actually seen this documentary without me ever giving them a prompt. So number one, I'm very proud of you guys. The uh, thing is with those two in particular is that they've been on an old movie slash documentary. Uh, uh, no, uh, not documentary. Uh, I don't really watch documentary. Like, it was old movie. An old movie progression that you guys have been going like on for movies. a while. We just, I like movies. And, that, and Amy, did you like movies before dating me? I don't know. You do now. Um, <laughs> it, it was just this movie she had from her It was just this weird so, yeah. movie she had from her childhood that... I had the VHS as a kid, and I really mm -hmm. liked it, and nobody had ever seen it, because everybody would just rather watch Aladdin, because it's very similar thematically, It's which is also part of part of this uh, epic saga of this movie. Uh, Robert, do you want to tell everyone what record this movie has? Before we do, <laughs> do, do uh, Cole's here, jo uh, John's here, Amy's here, Tyler's here, and Rob's oh, here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know what cares about who's here. We want to know the facts about <laughs> yeah. the Thief and the Cobbler. The or Thief and the Cobbler. Arabian Nights, as it was also called at some yes. point. So, like well, uh, Robert, how about we wind back time here? And uh, let's start at the beginning. Robert, uh, who created this? Who originally wrote this? <laughs> I, I hate to be this guy, but honestly, I want to give Amy and Tyler a chance on this one here. Mm. Because I did a lot of the research for the Mortal Kombat episode, but I actually think these two might know more than I do about this movie. Despite absolutely loving the creative power behind this, and quite honestly having a lot of admiration for uh, not one, but two different results of this film. Oh. 
I actually don't want to take away from these two. I know they've been working very hard on this episode. We've been teasing it for a while, so. Okay, then. Well, then, instead of Rob I, taking the, the lead on this, guys, go ahead. Oh, we're on the spot. Oh, yeah. Well, let me tell you about a guy named Richard Williams. He's neurotic. He's nitpicky. His attention to detail would drive any OCD person crazy. <laughs> oh, and God, yes. He was put <laughs> in a position of power. But he has this unparalleled animation talent and attention to detail. So Richard Williams has many awards for commercials. Uh, he even did the animation for Who Framed Roger Rabbit, uh, which I'm sure you've heard of. It was a huge success he got. I think he got an Oscar for it. He did. He got awards mm-hmm. for it. Um, yep. And he had always had this passion project uh, it, it went under another title, and he'd done all these short little skits. He wanted to do, like, an Arabian story thing. And then he eventually got the funding to work on his, The Thief and the Cobbler. Um, he originally had started with a cast of characters for these short skits, but they were owned by... A, I, there was a legal issue where he couldn't reuse all, all of those characters... But he could keep um, the thief. It was at the very beginning. Uh, I can't remember his name now, but it was a guy. Uh, do you remember his name, Rob? Off the top of your head. Ah, Brick. Um, yeah, I'm spacing on it. It's been a while since we've watched the documentary. Uh, but there was a man. This is at the very beginning of their career. Uh, Idris Shaw uh, was the guy that uh, created the original series of books uh, that the original intention was based off of um, um but if i remember what it was is the guy i can't remember his name anyways the guy uh his he was bringing them over from uh it's like the middle east because there, there were these stories about this uh uh guy who gets into these uh weird situations very um mr magoo style almost uh, comics um Howard Blake. It, yeah, the amazing Nasra Adin. Yes, and that was the original concept to be doing it. Okay. And this guy who had the rights to it, they're like a partner and they're doing work together. And then they were finding out all of a sudden that a bunch of uh, money was just sort of going missing because they're like, oh, these people haven't paid. They've been doing work for commercials. That's what they've always been doing. Um, and they're just like, we got to get these commercials to pay up their bills because they're losing money here. And then they go and find out that they have already paid all their bills. like, And it just has gone missing. And that's when they find out his partner was embezzling a bunch of money. And because that, he also had the rights to this uh, character, uh, which is the very, very beginning starts of what would be this movie. Um, he took it and went because he was like, oh, he's embezzling. So he left. Uh, I don't remember if he got away with it or not. Uh, but he took the rights to this character, so all of a sudden, this character that they were writing a whole bunch of stuff for and doing a whole bunch of art for, they can't use anymore because uh, it's copyrighted to this one man who was embezzling from the company, uh, which is kind of a weird situation. Um, yeah, but he had always loved like Arabic aesthetic, um, and he had started working on The Thief and the Cobbler, which is supposed to be his magnum opus. When you watch Richard Williams talk about it, the level of excitement. So uh, he, he he passed, but before that he wasn't t- 
talking about it anymore, anymore. because it, it turned out to be something that was going to be his magnum opus. It was going to change animation to being a great uh, shame and disappointment for him. So it I was, have a so I have a question really fast. The type yeah. of excitement that you're talking about is it like? Peter Molyneux talking about the Fable 3? Oh, I, was just about or is it? <laughs> I was just about to say he's definitely like a Peter Molyneux about it because <laughs> he has he was doing animation for a whole bunch of commercials that he had a bunch of awards. He's been getting awards for great animation, but they're all for commercials and stuff. And so it seemed in his mind he never made it as an animator until or as an artist until he had a movie like that seemed to be the goal but so you want to say something yeah yeah so i just having done a little bit more looking into dick sorry richard williams uh, (laughs) well i mean seriously like everybody in his personal circle knew him as dick Mm -hmm. he wanted to be referred to professionally as richard that's why everything was posted that way but anybody that was on his inner circle and anybody that has done interviews with him Never referred to him as Richard. Always referred to him as Dick. So, yeah, for for me, he's always going to be Dick. That's just who I know him as. Mm -hmm. From hearing all these things about him, really from second and third hand sources. The thing that's interesting about him, and to go along with the passion that we're talking about, and yes, I would definitely agree with the Peter Molyneux uh, (laughs) comparison. (laughs) Very fair. This is a guy. Yeah, because as who, soon as you mention that, I'm like, this sounds very familiar. It is. It's someone. Yeah. Who, yeah. The the difference here is. So for him, it was about the masterpiece. Yeah. And I'm not talking about just the generic title we like to slap onto things. He was very much an old school believer in facets of art. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in his mind, he had grown into quite the animator he had done animation as a young child gave up on it when he was 16 when he was 22 came back to it and that set his life in motion he moved or he moved to uh england to go and start working in commercial properties eventually ended up with her opening up his own uh artistry studio and going and doing commercials he truly believed and I actually, in a lot of respects, would agree with him in this statement. He believed that he had mastered the art form of animation. He had gotten to the point where he fully understood the medium that he was working in. And now it was time for him to go and make his, like Amy said, his magnum opus, his masterpiece. Yeah, this is what we used to go and look at with the artists of the Renaissance. What was their greatest stamp on humanity. You know, it doesn't matter if it's the Mona Lisa, if we're talking about the Sistine Chapel, those were masterpieces. And he wanted to make his own. And his passion for these particular stories and these characters, both through translation as well as his own illustration and designs, were what he wanted to make his masterpiece from. Whether or not you agree that the film that he was trying to make would have ever been a masterpiece in your eyes is a little bit of a different story. I have a feeling that but if he had finished, if he, it would have been a masterpiece no matter how well it did in his in his eyes. I, 
Well, that, I, maybe in his we're, own we're gonna, eyes. We're going to get in his eyes. Yeah. Some, let's talk yeah, about let's, how this film started. Now, this has the world record for the longest production period. Um, <laughs> for animation or? For a movie. Period. Period. Okay, yeah. because I thought yeah. Cleopatra had, no, was it Cleopatra or was that other one? From years ago, so had the, oh, that's the one, largest budget. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're you're thinking of Jewel in the Nile. Hey, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. I can find the exact number of years, but let, just to put it in perspective, he was started on it in 1964. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, and yeah. uh, it was self-funded, and after 20 years, only had 20 minutes hmm. of footage. So, but it, it's the scene that he was showing everybody when when you watch the movie. It's the scene with the the thief and the war machine, and it's this huge Rube Goldberg situation, and he's narrowly escaping all these obstacles, and it's it's really intricate and entertaining. Um, so he started technically in 1964, um, and then he reluctantly was brought on to uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, pulled him away. <laughs> well, he you know he was doing the commercials, but he was trying to get this project done, um, and he didn't want to do Roger Rabbit. He thought the animation and live action together was ugly. Um, but the only reason that he did it is because Disney and Spielberg promised that they would help him finish, or they would help him finance and distribute the Thief and the Cobbler, mm. uh, kind of similar to. Uh, Oh, the whole situation with Treasure Planet. Just like, okay, you, you do this for us, we'll let you do your passion project. Yeah, the Musker and Clemens Musker situation. And Clemens. Yeah. yeah, they Musker and clemens him. Um, mm-hmm. Well, except for, I think yeah. they really did want to gonna... see a success. <laughs> yeah, no, no. The fact that Disney marketing fucked that movie over does not mean that Disney did not put everything behind that movie in terms of development. That was the difference with Treasure Planet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They backed the guys. It's just that marketing didn't know how to go and market the film, mm-hmm. and were already setting their sights on new horizons in terms of other projects. That was unfortunate what happened to them in that respect, but... I gotta go and say, unfortunately, this is not necessarily the most fair comparison, though it is an honest one. Right. Yeah. Well, so he starts working on it in uh, 1988, and they have a production deal with Warner Brothers, but um, they do have a, a completion bond agreement, and a completion bond company is a company that, if you go over your deadline, will finish the movie for you. And in 1992... There's only 15 minutes left, but after extending deadlines and falling behind, the the movie got finished by by the Bond company. And uh, when when you watch the cobbled version, like they're so close to being done, but it... oh man, no, there's still a whole lot more work in that cobbled. Like you, we were watching the the recobbled the most recently is what we watched. And you see the stuff at the beginning, but then slowly we get further. Oh, hold on, Bef- before you go into that. Mm. Just give everybody an idea here oh. what the recobbled cut is, because we know what that is, but I don't think yes. that the general audience would. Okay, there's... We, we almost... This is this is the thing that caused the the original problem. Amy was like, I want to watch this movie. So I tried to find it. 
I didn't find the movie she was talking about. So that's where this rabbit hole started of like me going, okay, there's different versions of this movie, and I looked it up, and I found all this information about it, and it just kept on going. Yeah. So I had to decipher from Amy what was in the particular movie she wanted to watch for me to find the correct one. I wanted uh, the Ar- funny part of that. Yeah, Arabian so- Nights, which has got a whole bunch of voiceover. It's got music in it. Um, this version that the finished I still haven't seen this particular version because this version wasn't released in North America it was released in like Australia and such and that's another version out there there are four versions South Africa and Australia there's the princess in the cobbler Yeah. Miramax distributed in movies it was called in, in theaters it was marketed as Arabian Nights but the VHS says The Thief and the Cobbler, mm-hmm. which is the, the most widely distributed versions. And then there are fan versions. There's recobbled cuts where fans uh, try to reconstruct what Richard Williams' original vision uh, at times using storyboards or partially animated clips. Um, and there are four recobbled cuts thus far. Um, yeah, the newest one is the Mark IV, which was done in. 2016? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 16, so, I believe, yeah. But yeah. why they ended up needing the Bond company to take over and make the, the Miramax version is what we'll refer to I don't as. think they made the Miramax version. I think they made the uh, South American... I believe that's the version they made uh, because the Miramax one doesn't come out for a few years after that. That's right. So the South African Australia, The Princess and the Cobbler, was released in 1993, and then Miramax released Arabian Night in 95. Which is also another rehash of it. So they edited it again after that. So, um, yeah. So the reason they got yeah. so behind is because Richard Williams would have them reanimate scenes. He was so particular. He'd say, <laughs> no, the coloring's not right. Uh, there's a scene where Zigzag, the antagonist, is shuffling cards and he makes someone hand paint 52 cards over and over and it took someone months to paint that like 10 second scene yeah and to remind everybody this isn't like it is nowadays where you could just go that it's literally frame by frame by frame and take it's meticulous as hell he was so particular about the fluidity of everything and even if it took you months he'd make you redo it uh it was also the fact that they kept he kept adding to it yeah Mm -hmm. so he had these scenes there's this one scene where a messenger is getting on a horse uh he he said uh i remember seeing the in the documentary they talked about it where this was supposed to be just a quick scene where the guy gets on the horse takes off but it was he kept on going oh that's good do more of it do more do more so we we talked about how all of a sudden this quick scene that he was supposed to bang out real quick uh turned into this long drawn out process because he yeah. just liked how it looked and wanted more which so, is... yeah. so you're saying just get on the horse he gets on the horse and then there's a horse dying in the background and then one of his fallen comrades looks up and then looks back down and then he tries to get on on the horse but the horse moves to the left so he tries to reposition himself and then the horse moves back to the right and then he eventually gets himself back up looks behind him and goes and it the pacing of this movie is wild because <laughs> it is so he he was looking so closely at each part he couldn't see the whole yeah like 
in the last few years, he had to bust out a storyboard. Like, he was trying to get the storyboard together, like, the last year, the that last was, minute. That was you the gotta love the win that it's at the end of the process that the storyboard That's shows up. Oh, yeah. That was one of the things I noticed is, like, they talk about, like, oh, they're, that's when... We, t- they, we talk about the guys who were coming in to finish it. They're hovering over going, if you don't get this done by the deadline, we're going to finish it. And that's when they're talking about, oh, that's when Richard Dick is like starting to look at storyboards. And everyone else talks about, they're like, wait, we don't have a storyboard yet? We have already have so much animation done, but we don't have a plot? We don't know what's going on? We just have big chunks of And then, really of course, he knows scenes. the pl- but he knows the plot. <laughs> I don't think he knew the plot. Yeah. That's the thing. It's, you don't think he so? He just wanted to make yeah. a scene that looked really pretty and did it on a, such a microscopic layer. I was like, this is just going to be a pretty scene here that looks fantastic. There's but, a lot of texture. When you look at a city, it's like, if you were to look at it with a magnifying glass, you would be able to see all these beautiful... Which is a shame because once you watch it, it you can't see all that detail that quickly or No, there's it. just so much going on that you're just like... It zooms past, and then... It's gone. It's almost like if you asked a Renaissance painter to paint a bunch of pictures and then make a story out of it. And you're like, oh, i got to put all these together in an order that makes sense for it to be a story going across that. Yeah, so I think that's one of the main (laughs) things that... I, so I, I, this is the question I'm going to ask: Is was he his? Just, we're not there yet. We're, we're not, not there, there yet, yet. Oh, because man. there's more to no. be said about how long it took. Actually, hurt the film because all these scenes are painted differently, colors oh. are inconsistent, oh. yeah. uh, styles are inconsistent. Because mm-hmm. when you're working on a movie for decades, you have a lot of uh, rotation, especially if you are. Uh, working for someone like Richard Williams. And I have to say, also, didn't, like, a whole bunch of the, the the animation team died halfway through? Because they were some of the some of these were their last film. Like, I'm looking at this as, like, oh. near the end oh, of the process. there was one guy who they interview in The Persistence of Vision who was, like, very proud to be working on this, and he was a long time. So, yeah, like, people just didn't make it. 29 years, by the way. Um, I found the yes. number, 29 years. I think that's years. also one of the things they say is that everyone worked on the film because anyone who worked through animation would have gone through this place and would have worked on something and then would go. Yeah. I, I heard some really bad things of what it was like to work there. So I, I, have, to, I have to go and take us back here okay. a little bit because I do feel like there's a little bit of minutia that's being missed here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. This particular studio really was prolific and to Tyler's point yes this was a place that especially if you were working in the European market in animation whether it be for television spots whether it be for title cards for films this was the place you went through it's not necessarily a place you stayed but it's a place that you went through if you could survive in his studio yeah you could go and be an animator just about anywhere a lot of Disney's best animators actually from the 90s came through this studio at some point. Mm-hmm. That being said, the people that he was hiring, and part of the reason why his stuff was prolific for going over budget, the people that he would go and hire for his own personal projects were industry veterans. They were big names, not necessarily somebody you would go and hear about. It's just like, oh yes, keyframe animator number four in this movie mm-hmm. uh, was picked up by Dick over here. I don't know how the hell he was able to get her. It's not one of those situations. But 
these were well-established people in the industry. He sought after people that he believed would be able to bring his vision to life. And yeah, there's some amazing people that work there, but to Cole's point, the burnout was a real factor on there. A lot of people retired out of this place. A lot of people did not go and stick with the production all the way through. It was a grueling thing to go and work in, but it's kind of hard not to go and argue that in a lot of respects, at least from a visual perspective, looking at this movie, it may not have been the most consistent, but you could definitely go and see every ounce of effort that's put into it. So I just looked at this. Apparently seven people uh, passed away before the end of production, and this was all in the last ten years of the production. Yeah, I'm not not surprised to hear that at all, given how long this thing was in the works and the fact that I, I think his average hire was like 47 or something like that. Mm. Like, yeah, there weren't a lot of people that stuck with it all the way to the end. But this was a prolific studio, and he was a well-regarded animator for a reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've Unfortunately, seen stuff he's done. He did the Pink Panther title cards. Yes, mm-hmm. he did. Oh, yeah. He also did the Pink Panther stuff. Well, yeah. He, he, he won an Oscar for A Christmas Carol. Like, he's... Mm-hmm. He's not a fuck-up. This movie kind of consumed him <laughs> like he mm-hmm. it was an obsession yeah um, i think that's the thing though is none he of them could have done so much movies. more yeah. if he wasn't so hyper fixated on this movie for 29 years it kind of seems like this yeah. he was his own worst enemy when it came to this uh movie yeah. yes like yeah. he, in a he lot of respects didn't really have anybody that'll keep him on track getting this like storyboarded and animated for the most part because i mean the stuff I see, it's a beautiful looking movie, but I don't know. It just seems like the steps were taken backwards and they were forwards when it came to planning and doing the uh, movie for the most part. He's like the uh, Howard Hughes of the animation world. True. <laughs> uh, that's because when it comes absolutely because when it comes to modern animation, the storyboard always comes first. Right. Well, but, unless you're unless you are. Miyazaki does not storyboard. True. Some people choose and it works. not he's to storyboard. He's the only... He's the exception. Everyone else needs a storyboard. <laughs> the difference being with yeah. Miyazaki is that he finishes films. True. It may take... <laughs> yeah. A- yeah. Oh, yeah. No, this... This is a weird one, because, yeah, especially with this, I, I just remember... This is all from the persistence of vision that I'm bringing this up, but it's very interesting. The people in his inner circle, the ones that did stick with him for the longest period of time, after after the Nasruddin uh, loss of the characters, the early part of the production on there, he seemed to be very much a broken man internally Mm -hmm. inside of the company. You know, he felt like his life's work, the thing that he'd been building up to had been taken away from him. And the only thing that he was left with was a character that was not part of those stories but that he had wanted to incorporate into this. The thief. And that was the thief. Yeah. Who, so, to be fair, is my favorite <laughs> character. But, um, yeah. I, I am, I'm on the same page but with you. But it's hard to I think build a whole reasons. movie around a thief who wears one slipper and his little nose sticks out of his cloak. <laughs> It's uh, it is very much like a betrayal. Yeah, I yeah. can see how that very much can break you. It seems like a, even even with yeah, what you find out, you're like, oh man, that that just, it hurts. It hurts us. We find out, and we're like, yeah. wow. 
How do you deal with that? You just no, and then... Yeah, and then for him to be... Just have this one day, an epiphany! The thief, the cobbler, and the Mushahideen! <laughs> what? <laughs> and he's just running through his offices, screaming the name of the movie that he's just realized, Wait, I can still make this! I just can't use those characters! I have to make my own story! Mm-hmm. And I already have my title character. It's like, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, we're not just talking about him having passion to go and make a movie here. We're talking about a man who had passion to make a movie, had it all ripped away from him, and then comes back in with a realization one day over lunch. Wait, no. I can still make a movie, and no one can stop me. Nobody has any input on this. I'm going to keep it all close to the vest so that no one can ever take it away from me. Until the bonding company and then I, <laughs> Exactly. And then, ironically, his own hubris ends up with him having the exact same thing happen over again. Ugh. And he wouldn't talk I, a lot. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is a story both of triumph and tragedy. In the strangest way possible. Like, it seems like a weird cut. Like, is it okay? The way that you say mm-hmm. that, it's like the his life with the creation of the film mirrored the fucking film. Mm-hmm. If you think oh. about it, <laughs> a little bit of like a little bit of tragedy, a little bit of complications. <laughs> I mean, maybe the first act. Maybe the first act of the yeah, first act. Yeah, you haven't seen the other either. stuff. Yeah, it's, it I, gets... Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so before we continue on, what mm-hmm. versions have we all seen? I personally have only seen about half of the recobbled, recobbled cut Mark IV. Rob, the, or, uh, Cole, that's 50% more than, than usual. <laughs> <laughs> that's a burn. Yes. Um, again, which, Amy, which, has, Amy has yeah. watched the uh, Arabian oh. Nights uh, so many times. I've watched it so many times that when we watched the recobbled cut, I had to try. I wasn't always successful to stop myself from just speaking. So in the Miramax version, before before that, I am answering your question, but in a long way. Yeah. <laughs> the Miramax yeah. version, Richard Williams would not talk about it for years. He detested what they did with it because they did all the shit that Disney did that mm-hmm. he didn't like. Uh, there were no musical. It's, a, it's an animated film, and it does have some stuff that was not really intended for kids. They cut all that out. For example, the king hires a hooker, and the princess is like, oh, daddy. And then the... Uh, Did they hire out. a hooker? I thought they just brought it. They brought it they brought. They brought him a hooker. Yeah, and there we like, go. Ooh, yeah. a hooker. Um, From a yeah. faraway land. And then the thief walks <laughs> in on that. Uh, the, uh, and then flushes himself. Yeah. The bad, the bad guy has a just a uh, harem, a harem of women that act as his throne. First, they're a bed, and then it's they crazy. do gymnastics, like, and then they're his throne, and later they're. Uh, I haven't seen that part. No, yeah, get to that part. I, we, it's that not in the part. the Miramax version. Yeah. Uh, they added musical numbers, uh, yeah. and you can definitely see the difference between the the company outsourced it to Korea, I believe. And you can yeah. see the the cheap animation they used to kind of bridge the gaps versus the original intended animation. Um, so those were kind of the main things. They added three musical numbers. Oh, oh, duh. So originally, the first, the main characters, the thief and the cobbler, are mute. 
Yeah, Except for at the end of the recobbled version, you do get to hear the cobbler's voice for one line, and it's like really deep and weird. Um, it's, it's, it's up, baby girl. Well, because in the Miramax version, it's voiced by Matthew Broderick. So, yeah. you know, his voice is not the deepest. Uh, they keep the original Vincent Price recording, which is wonderful for the antagonist Zigzag. So it's interesting. Matthew Broderick and Zigzag have done a movie together. Uh, um, oh, who is who is the who is the thief? The thief has a, an inner the monologue. The thief has the a comedian time. doing his inner monologue, which is actually works really well, and that is hilarious. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I I, I feel like we're going a little bit of, too much. They also changed the name yeah. of the city. Oh, Jonathan Winters. That's who the yes. thief was. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. Richard Williams hated this movie, but I loved the Miramax version. And then we saw the Recobbled, and then we saw the uh, Persistence of Vision. Why I bring that up is because, yeah, I was basically speaking the Thief's inner monologue. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so yeah. I I feel like, in some respects, I feel like we need to go and just talk a little bit here, because mm-hmm. the film, I know we could talk about the differences, but without a little bit of context, it is a little bit hard. True. Your title characters in this, the Thief and the Cobbler, are just what you'd expect in that. This is very much a, like the name implies, or at least the Miramax cut name implies, this is an Arabian story. Uh, I know everybody's going to be drawn to Aladdin on this one, and uh, there is some fair comparison on that for reasons I'm sure Amy wants to talk about later. That was was a whole Uh, thing, so... Yeah. (laughs) But, uh... Yeah, no, you, you've got basically two... In the original intended version, you have two mute characters on very diametrically opposed uh, places in the world. You have the thief... Who is never who is named. Literally, yes, he's just the thief. Yeah. Hmm. And he is just the greatest kleptomaniac I have ever seen. And, with, yeah. and, and I adore and, this character. And has amazing pocket space. Yeah, oh, fantastic pocket space. Saddles, golden balls. <laughs> I like how he, the, there's this part of the scene where he gives up, like, a whole, like, a treasure chest out of his thing, and he's throwing, like, 16 things out, then reaches into a jar for a, a, for a fairly good-sized emerald. And I'm like, couldn't you just fit the damn, like, you, yeah. already, have, you already have hammer space. Well, Make fucking use of it. <laughs> that is yeah. why Richard's a master of animation. That's something you can only do in animation. And is he really uses the thief to do a lot of hilarious hijinks. Yeah, that's just it. He is essentially the comic relief, but he does play into the story properly as well. I just thought of something. The, How could he carry all that extra, like, stuff? But he couldn't ca- get the fucking balls. That it, it, he couldn't carry the balls properly. Oh, that's because this is a cartoon, Cole. Yeah, I know. Yes, I just thought about that. I'm like, yes. oh, that's the limitations. Yeah. <laughs> the limitations of plot writing. Anyway, <laughs> so you've got this character who's a kleptomaniac. On the other side of the title, we have the cobbler, who is, once again, a mute character, mm-hmm. always has a tack in his mouth. Mm-hmm. And that's the rather appropriate three. name, tack. Yep. <laughs> Did you notice that he... We're looking... Oh, there was actually something cool I liked about his character. What's yeah, well, we'll, we'll get Let's to that in a second here. Because, yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah we're, we're just going to get this taken care of yeah, as quickly yeah. as possible, just so we have some perspective for the people listening, because mm-hmm. I don't want this to just sound like a random mess. Mm-hmm. So, he, on the other hand, is just a truly 
good guy. He mends people's shoes. He's just going through life. And yeah, I don't think there's a mean bone in this guy or in this kid's body at he all. He just got fucked over. Pretty much. The thief and him end up running into each other through a weird circumstance. Basically, the thief finds his way into his house, his place. And yeah, uh, Tack, while half asleep, ends up going and sewing the two of them together. <laughs> it's a very comedic moment. I, I absolutely love it. It is some of the best animation in the movie, as far as I'm concerned. It just looks gorgeous. And that's on when they end up meeting one of the antagonists in the movie. The vizier. Zigzag. Is it the advisor or the vizier? I can never remember what his position is. Scallop Zigzag. That's what he is. He's like a sorcerer of vizier. That's the whole thing. This is some some connections we will see with Aladdin. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yep. Big blue character. Lots of angular points. Wispy facial hair. Very um, different character design. Uh, extra mm-hmm. knuckles. It, and I'll extra say truly. Fingers. Yep. Yeah. Very exaggerated points, uh, especially on the shoes. Which, as he walks while swinging himself in a zigzag fashion on carpet, <laughs> hence the name, <laughs> yep. has his shoes extending outwards, seemingly a mile every time, mm-hmm. and then rolling back in. <laughs> As the two of them are rolling about while sewn together, Tack is spreading all of his cobbling equipment everywhere and eventually ends with a tack in Zigzag's foot. And he is pissed about it! Dragging him back to the palace to go and request he be executed with the king's blessing. Only to be saved by the princess. Yum yum. God, I wish that was a joke. Because she got interested because he, she saw the commotion as he was being dragged in. Mm-hmm. Yes. A very sweet... sweet. Oh, speaking of yeah, which, the thief just somehow got himself untangled and got away. So the, he... Oh, yeah, no. The thief <laughs> that thief's got more lives yeah. than a cat. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it's like a Mr. Magoo situation where he's just always Gone. just going through <laughs> life. He's a kleptomaniac. It uh, doesn't sell or pawn any of his stuff, he just wants to steal things, and that is the thief's job. He's, yep. he's almost so, a weird MacGuffin. <laughs> exactly. So the princess saves him by going and breaking her shoe, and insisting that the cobbler sit her fix it. More hijinks begin as the thief manages to work his way into the palace. You should probably mention what made him want to go into the palace in the first place. There is oh, yes. Yes, a very important uh, prophecy. The MacGuffin. Uh, this, this is the MacGuffin. There are three golden balls that sits atop the tallest tower. Um, the, in the center the of same, the golden city. <laughs> it's not in the center of it, but yeah. That's what, um, that's what the description says. <laughs> it's, we it gotta just, get through the plot. So. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. this is the thing that I did like. is The plots do... From the Miramax, the Uncobbled, the plots do follow a very similar path. They, when they hit each point, each point is a slightly different, but they do get through it the same kind of way, where these balls at the very top are made of gold, that if they are taken away from the top, uh, the kingdom is going to fall to ruin. Uh, the thief sees these golden balls, and being a thief who is a kleptomaniac, uh, oh, finds his yeah. new mission, what he wants to do. Uh, hijinks ensue. He makes his way into the uh, into the uh, castle, palace, 
through the sewer, through the sewer pipe. (laughs) Yeah, one of the way. Watch the movie. Um, Yeah. (laughs) uh, With that being there, uh, the cobbler is now there. The princess is there. We've met the vizier, who is also there. Zigzag. Uh, They have all made their way into the castle, and they sort of just kind of muck around and do things uh, till eventually um, the. The next big plot point, I think, would be the fact that the thief manages to steal. Oh, are we jumping ahead? How do you want it? You, you want to take this back over, that, Rob? Yeah, I'll, I'll take it back over here, okay. but you're not really far off. So, Tack, while trying to go and pursue and capture the thief, after he steals who at this the point shoe. has, <laughs> well, <laughs> not just because of the shoe, but after basically violating, uh, without being caught, mm-hmm. uh, Princess Yum Yum's bath. Yeah. God, this movie had some uh, interesting content. By the way, who also was very confused about why she was using a back scratcher in the bath? To scratch her back. Why not? Like, you'd think that it would be like one of those big brushes that you'd be using. Well, Well, yeah, but that wouldn't be as as visually pleasing. True. And then. If you watch the whole movie, it sets up for a really funny joke that does not make it. Yes, I know exactly which joke it is. I know exactly which joke it is. Let Rob finish, please. No more interruptions. I do declare. Yes, yes. Or else Zigzag will come and get you. That wasn't a rhyme. That's a big fun fact. Zigzag rhymes the entire time. No more fun facts. Just the synopsis. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Tack once again goes and runs into Zigzag, is imprisoned without the princess or the king's knowledge, and then all hell breaks loose. The thief manages somehow or another to go and collect the orbs, momentarily, mind you, but collect nonetheless. They're no longer on the turret. They're gone. This goes and leads to the king having a royal conniption, everything going to hell, and ultimately, zigzag not getting his way, ends up going and betraying the king, taking the balls, and leaving. This leads to a rather interesting plot contrivance on where it is decided that the princess, Tack, and her handmaiden will go off to go and seek wisdom for how to go and save the kingdom and recollect the balls. At this time, we also learn about the bad guys. Um, exactly. The, one-eyes. the other antagonist. The, the one eyes. The one eyes. Some type of barbarian race that uh, the king has a dream about, and then a messenger comes to and says the one eyes are coming, and that's also when they notice that the balls are gone, and that's all the hell that is currently breaking loose. Yeah. And yep. this is also gets the, the balls from the thief, tries to get the king to give him his daughter to marry. He won't. So he's like, fuck you, I'm taking the balls to the One-Eyes. And then the other, yep. they all leave in the desert. Yeah. And yep. this also is where... Um, I'm trying to remember exactly. Uh, my brain... Shoot. Is it, my brain. you stop watching? No, <laughs> no. That's where I, I had to stop watching because we started recording. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't think there's anything else that really happens during that. This is interesting. Yeah. Though, oh, sorry. I was gonna. Of... I was gonna say that was the. That was where you guys were talking about the scene about the ever increasing messenger. <laughs> like that's yes. where that we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's the that. ever, the messenger who gets on his horse, which takes a long time to come to there to warn him about the one eyes. He's half dead. Yeah. He's got seven so, arrows in his back. <laughs> yeah. To to wrap it up, Zigzag goes to the one eyes. 
he uh, gets on their side and gets them to start making an invasion on the kingdom because they don't have the ball's protection. The motley crew of people, followed by the thief because he heard that there was a ruby where they're going to seek wisdom, all go out into the desert. Uh, in the Miramax version, it's just an eye that says, attack, attack, when <laughs> never look back, and they think it's cryptic. Uh, in the original version, there is a saggy, titty, short, Yoda-like woman uh, who does all this crazy shit and gets high and then turns into smoke and tells them to do it. And so, it is a long, drawn-out process. And she's, like, it... a very unlikable character. So uh... they, they do that. Let me just finish. Uh, mm -hmm. They do that. They go back. Attack, attack says, oh, attack. And with a single attack, fucks up the whole thing. We have an incredibly long sequence of the war machine from the One-Eyes being destroyed. The thief goes on stealing. They get married. Happy ever after. Mm -hmm. So it, it is a very Yeah, you basically plot. wrapped it up. Yeah, they have a fight yeah. scene with the vizier who's pushed to the front of the war machine and then eventually gets... He gets his. He gets his. Yeah. <laughs> I would also like to say that one of my favorite characters is the handmaiden at the very beginning of the, of the film. Oh, where yeah. His, oh, where, yeah. The, uh, where she beats the living <laughs> shit out of, the, out of, out of the, uh, the thief with big gorilla arms. <laughs> well, that... Yes, as I refer to her, Lady Popeye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's part of the really cool thing about his animation. He animates her as shaking and feeble, and you know everything you think. He misleads you entirely with just animation. She doesn't say anything. She's just shaking and carrying her bananas. The thief tries to steal it, and she has these big blue muscly arms come out of her cloak, and she just starts kicking ass. So it's, it's just it's, it's cool what he Class. does. And that's where you're introduced. Walks. And that's kind of where you're introduced to the how much shit he can hide under his cloak bullshit. Yeah, because <laughs> everything just yeah. goes flying everywhere. One That's... more, there's one more thing. We are also introduced uh, into uh, when they go into the desert. The brigadiers, the brigands. Oh, so yeah, they're actually the not important to the plot, though. Uh, so <laughs> they're they're interesting because in the Miramax version, so they're what happened when you don't go to school. They have a oh, whole goodness. song. It's a crazy. That's <laughs> yeah, probably the Miramax best song. Uses in the them. Whole movie. They're like oh. Let's use these guys to slip a banger into this uh, this movie, <laughs> but for the uh, which is why they look so weird. Anyway, their animation yeah. style is weird, and it's doubly weird when you do a whole completely fresh animated song. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in the recobbled version, it looks like he intended to have them help fight the One Eyes at the end of the movie, but none of that got animated, and the Korean studio didn't do it, so they basically are just there. Yeah. They carry them back into town yeah. quickly, I guess. Which is also not really animated. They just, yeah, they just show up and they're like, we're going to attack you. And then they have a bang song and then they're just... Then she's oh. like, hey, I'm the princess, don't attack me. And they're like, okay. Then they get to the prophecy and they're like, we're going to hide over here. And then they get to the castle and they're like, okay, we'll put you down. Resolve the plot. <laughs> it's like... Absolutely, yeah. They're just there. <laughs> just there. It's... It's a fascinating thing. It's yeah, so, it's a movie. Let's 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 talk about the variances between these two film types though. I know you kind of touched on them, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. let's let's go and really break it down here because I actually want to ask the question at the end of this of which version uh the two of you prefer better cuz I'm actually really curious on whether or not it's going to match up with me or not. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah. the first difference so, Amy. is the King 
is gifted a woman from, they name a fictitious city, and then when the thief comes in, you see her arm coming out to grab some grapes, and you hear sex noises. <laughs> uh, I don't, like, I'm like, okay, I, I don't know who this movie's that Richard Williams was planning to watch, this movie. Um, Adults, the, yeah. My favorite difference uh, is when the thief walks in on Princess Yum Yum taking a bath, she's using a golden back scratcher, so he steals it, and she says, oh, good thing I have another one, which is weird. She does it again, <laughs> and it gets stolen again. Golden and uh, jewel-encrusted, which is interesting. I'm like, what? It's a bling and back scratcher. She's yeah. a princess. Later, that sets up a scene later in the movie where uh, the thief is caught stealing so these guards take him to uh, have his hands chopped off, which mm. Miramax really cleans up this movie. Like, it, it, there's there's just a lot of... It's probably PG-13. Maybe, yeah, probably PG-13 as the uncobbled, the recobbled version. Uh, he puts his... his he, he's supposed to put his hands in to get them cut off, so he takes out the golden back scratchers, and they look so little. They look like just these little hands, and he puts <laughs> them in there, and they chop them off. He's like... Puts his hands in his cloak. He's like, oh, okay. Guess I better go. Okay. He just gets like, away with it. And runs it's away. Just, you love the thief because he gets into these perilous situations and is always so lucky and unscathed. Like I think the way that that also works is the fact that his hands are tiny little, like, like skeleton hands almost. He normally has pretty spindly hands, but they're not yeah. as little like curvy. Yeah, no, it's very clear the back scratches. Um, man, the one thing I want to point out is that whole hooker scene and stuff it was so confusing when i watched the mirror max because all of a sudden there's, there's just this tent that's always there and they make pay yeah. no mind to it whatsoever and i'm like what is that it's just there and it, there's no answer and then in the recobbled version they're like oh it's a woman's in there and you can see him just kind of doing things and they have like little woman noises and like an eyeball or it's just like it, it made no sense and they definitely did make it pg um so they cut that whole thing out uh but they couldn't just take out this object that is drawn into all these scenes so yeah well There's they did it in a couple other spots too they did uh, like they take away his other back scratcher when he's leaving they do edit some of the stuff yes but um what I really think is missing from the Miramax version is they develop the cobbler and the princess's relationship a lot more. The princess mm -hmm. is always like, oh, where's that cobbler? She doesn't just, he goes missing, and then when it's time to do an adventure, she's like, oh, yeah, this guy can come with me. Uh, there's this really cute scene of her breaking all of her shoes so oh, yeah. that he'll need to recobble them. And then there's this weird scene where she's sleeping with all of her shoes, which are shiny, and the thief climbs onto her big, white, fluffy bed to steal these shoes. And then he tries to leave, and the bed erupts into a bunch of lions that start growling at him. <laughs> yeah, so she's sleeping on some kind of lions or tigers. Of like, eight, li like nine or ten lions that are all pointed in the same direction. It was, it was really funny, though, because he was like started laughing because when he was like creeping, he was creeping up the stairs, and he was like doing as close to the angle of the stairs, and he was creeping up. Yeah, he, 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 like... he liquid forms to the chair, the stairs. It's just the, the way the it's. You should watch it. I, like, it is a weird... You should watch one of the versions. Mm -hmm. um, but also, because, like, being the age most of us are on this podcast, we grew up with Aladdin, and it's time to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So, so you might have even just listened, noticed, princess, poor suitor, evil uh, sorcerer, king's advisor guy with a corsorly coatee. Oh, by the way, uh, Zigzag has a pet vulture who he uh, <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say, who's plans. worse, this thing or Viago? Like, which right? who's worse? Like, at this oh, point. Oh, Viago's the best because he's, he's Gilder, Gil, Gilbert Godfrey. Yeah, but, uh, but, who, but, yeah. but you have to. I, I've got, <laughs> here's my query who do you feel worse for? Yago or the or the vulture, <laughs> like getting his ass burned well, like fifteen the times. Out. You finish yeah. the movie, you'll find out. The thing about yeah. Fido the vulture <laughs> is there's this subplot of Zigzag keeps not feeding him, but because uh, the movie they edit out a bunch of scenes where he's shown almost get he almost gets to eat tack and then he doesn't, uh, but that whole scene's cut. So they have these lines where he's off camera and the parrot's like, I'm really hungry. Why are you going to feed me? Because they cut out all the context of, like... They added voice to the bird? Yeah. The, the, well, everybody's revoiced except for... Well, pretty most of it. Most well, the bird didn't have a voice in the tactic. No, he doesn't tin, have but... a voice in the uh, other one, but in, yeah, in the Miramax, he gets a voice. Uh, literally everyone's getting a voice. The thief gets a inner monologue. Uh, Tack mm. gets a voice. Uh, they revoice... The princess and the vizier, not the vizier, the uh, uh, they not might Pharaoh. not. What's the Sultan. other word for Pharaoh? Sultan. Sultan. Um, and Vincent Price is the only voice that has just been solid all the way through. You so, just can't voice over Vincent Price. And he's got time. such. He's got. He's got the best dialogue because it is all like in rhymes and yeah. it's like really. Good. Also, there was something that I noticed as well, and I saw it was in the changes. Apparently, like in this particular version, the it's called the Golden City. That's the name of the city. They change it to Baghdad in the Miramax version. <laughs> they do. They do. That's right. They call it Baghdad. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that being kind of like weird, but it's like, hey, yeah, name the city. It's well, at that point, everybody place. had seen Aladdin and was like, oh, I know what Baghdad is. So, yeah, there's the parrot. There's the princess. The sultan looks very similar. The sultan gets... Um, very sleepy. The, <laughs> yeah. Um, there's the parrot. Uh the big other change would be the place in the uh, desert, like how they deal with that old lady, and oh, that's like about yeah, that's it. another big change is, is yeah. they cut out the saggy booby crazy Yoda lady, which is for the best, <laughs> um, because then she's a floating eyeball and a mysterious spirit. So was that their lion but, cave? <laughs> so yeah, no, yeah, there was not that connection. It is literally just the characters yeah. are the connection, and but that's the fact is Aladdin was coming out before they had finished this one so they looked at aladdin and saw all these characters that are the same and they're like oh shit they're like copying their movie i don't think there was any copying or anything like that i don't know rob do you know more about yeah i i actually do know quite a bit about this because unfortunately this is one of those things just because of how poorly managed the production of this was I unfortunately cannot actually hold Disney responsible on this particular take. Didn't you say that a lot of I get the feeling came, Amy, uh, top animators went through this studio in the first place? Well, that's just it. There were so many people that were coming through this. And quite honestly, even at that point, when Aladdin first went into production, we're looking at a situation on where nobody believed this film would ever be done. Like, this is a weird situation where, yes, there were people that had gone through this company, had worked on this film, left, 
moved on to other positions, started working at places like Disney. And the other reality as well, Dick had been showing off a lot of test stuff from this particular film over decades. Mm -hmm. You think that his designs didn't go and influence things all over the place? Trust me, it's not just this film, you know, in the case of Aladdin, that took inspiration from his work. This was a very important guy in the industry. If you look at some of the projects that he's worked on, not the big scale, more in the small scale, some of the commercials that were put together, some of the stuff that he actually went and did ad pitches, the stuff that he went and did as short video projects, his art pieces that have been exhibited all over the world. This guy was an influence on literally thousands of people across the industry. Is anybody surprised about the fact that nobody had confidence in this coming out other than the lunatics over at Warner Brothers who were warned against signing up with this guy who were basically put or basically put to task by the insurance company that was backing them on this project to go and have a conservatorship set up that would take the reins of this thing. This was a situation on where basically uh, Warner Brothers had given them more or less a check with the expectation that a film would be done and their backers, the guys who were insuring the film, forced them to go and have a contingency plan in place Mm -hmm. because nobody, nobody believed that this would ever come out. I do think that you can go and make a lot of very clear arguments that there were stolen designs, that there were adaptations of ideas going on. They are similar films, but most of it is at the surface level. Mm-hmm. I can't really go and say that if you go and compare these two films, even looking at the recobbled cut, and what the film, if it ever actually completed, would have become, if you go and compare the two final products... I don't believe that you can go and make a big argument that Disney ripped off their ideas. They ripped off elements. But I can't go and put these two in direct comparison. They are very different films. And honestly, just looking at one of the character designers from Aladdin, talking about his time working with Dick and his reference for this guy, I don't think the fact that he came up with a design for Jafar, I don't think that going and saying that he stole the designs as a combination or that made, you know, a combination of zigzag, uh, or I should say a combination of the genie and Jafar basically a zigzag. I don't think that that's a statement of, oh, we like this design, so we decided to rip it off in two different characters. No, I think if anything, there's something to be said for, I want somebody to be able to see at least something of what this guy's vision was going to be. Mm. It's been very interesting post-Dick's death, seeing people coming out Mm. that are finally talking about this film, the hellish experience of working at that studio, and yet the respect that people have for him, his designs, and on how they're still living on through other characters that have been made over the years. Yes, I do believe that Disney did rip off some things. I will not say that Disney ripped off this movie. Mm. Because quite honestly... It's a miracle it came out at all. That's very true. Yeah, I think I think that's a great way to say because it it's there's so many people that went through it and so many elements that to rip off almost feels like 
yeah, it's so influential that it's hard to not have that in your head when you do it. Like, that is a problem where uh, people will just create things that the idea that there's nothing new, everything's just a rehash of what it all is because everything's already been created. But you're being influenced by everything you've already seen. So even if they didn't, even if it is uh, copied or, or, or not even copied. Inspired uh, by. Inspired by is more the correct thing that people who did do it didn't do it uh, um, maliciously or even consciously. It's like a subconscious idea behind it where it's just like, yeah, I'm going to make this character. And the there are similarities to this thing that I worked on because I've sta- stared at it for however long. Even then, oh, some of the... we uh, With the Uncobbled Cut, we saw some of the earlier depictions of what they had for Zigzag and even those were drastic from the end thing. He was like a very square person. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. like it would just be like, oh, this frame has these storyboards of him and he's like a square, very different shape than what they actually came out with at the end too. So um that ideas are always changing, yeah. All the time in music as well. Oh yeah. Like uh that song Stay With Me that came out a few years ago. Uh, that is just like I won't back down. Uh, he did. He honestly, it seems like he probably heard that song, but he did not mean to and rip it off. That happens a lot of time. People repeat or vary little note combinations or sequences or tunes or melodies, and it's just there like, is a very interesting song. Um, I think it was Coldplay and something else, but Tears of a Scientist. It's where you could play the song on top of each other. And they oh. link together. Yes, that is also a thing that um, uh, uh, tangent. Uh, some music is so basic that they're the four chord songs and all the other songs yep. that mm-hmm. are so similar because of how music works that they are going to sound the same and yeah. very similar and line up because music is mathematical. So sometimes your mathematical equations just line up and make the same. There are math. only so many. Yeah. yeah. Um, but where are we? What are we talking? Aladdin, differences, similarities, rabbit hole. I think it's time, though, to decide if you were going to recommend one of these films, The Persistence of Vision, The Recobbled, or Arabian Nights, what would you recommend and why? Oh, Oh. okay, so we're counting the documentary as well. I think you just just see the documentary because it's not a finish of the film. It, you're right. You're right. The documentary too is for a different audience. It's a. It's a. It's yeah. Like yeah. you could show the Miramax version to a child, and my mom did. So, <laughs> but um, yeah. There's yeah. literally. Yeah. I think I the persistence of vision is just good for anybody who's interested in animation. Anybody, if you like YouTubers, like <laughs> Rob's gonna have more suggestions than I do. Lindsay Ellis. Uh, side sideways. Rob, list off some YouTubers. Do it. I, I gotta be honest, actually, I don't do a ton in terms of film documentaries on YouTube. If you like just because there's. Yes, if you like infotainment on there, it's okay, a that's a little different ride story. If you like. Yes. Info, if you like information. <laughs> it, is, it is a crazy thing, and it happened, and it's true, and that's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I will go and say, persistence of it, her persistence of vision, the documentary is my favorite documentary of all time. Really? Wow. No joke. Have Here's you seen the thing, Shark Week? is that cuz they have documentaries <laughs> about sharks. <laughs> <laughs> 
It, here's the reason why. Because, quite honestly, the thing for me that upsets me with a lot of documentaries is that a lot of them don't seek objective truth. Mm-hmm. Something I like with documentaries is I either want to learn something and I want it to be from an unbiased perspective. The thing that was great about The Persistence of Vision is that mostly through interviews with the people that worked on this film, that worked with Dick, you got a very good understanding both of how chaotic the whole development was, how truly impressive he was as a person, the best and worst parts of him, the project, everything about it is laid out for Bear. It doesn't ask you the question of, do you think this man was a master in the medium? It doesn't ask the question, was he a good guy or a bad guy? It doesn't ask the question, should the film have been completed? It doesn't even ask the question of, would it ever have been completed? It is a film that does such a great job of capturing what went on and letting you, without ever prompting you, make up your own conclusions about the movie. Just to make a point, watching that, I know they say that they were probably six months away from being able to have a finished version of the film. I think that everybody who talked about that and said it were being polite to Dick, who was still alive at the Mm -hmm. time of that particular uh, documentary's uh, development. Dick didn't want to ever talk on the record about this movie. He did talk privately about it, but as far as I can tell, everybody who has come out to go and talk about him since then has never said a word about what was said in private. They always said in his or in respect to his character and his legacy, I will not mention this. This film, or I should say that documentary, makes me believe that, yes, if the film by some miracle were ever completed, yes, it would have been a masterpiece. Not necessarily a good movie. But I do believe that it would have been a masterpiece. Do I think it would ever get finished? Probably not. Do you think? Because I think this would have just kept going on and on and on, and he would just find more ways to extend it out and to what I do believe legitimately would improve the film. Once again, he wanted to make a masterpiece. He wanted to go and make his masterwork. He wanted to make arguably the greatest animation of all time. And quite honestly, even things like the horse scene. It's all of that stuff getting extended out. It's great. It is, but it is. Oh. Like it every detail accounted for using animation in an effective way, the details in the backdrops, the cleverness with the situations these characters find themselves in. He can make a sequence but it just wouldn't be a good film. He can't make a plot. Yeah, Tyler, do you want to say what you yeah. were saying the whole time you were watching? Yeah, the go for it, please. Okay, so watching the recalled version, it was just constantly. Yeah, some scenes would be dragged out, and it just it was good to watch. It was like yeah, it was, there was a lot. It's going captivating. On. There's things. It's like every scene you feel the struggle. Like that is. This scene, I talk about the messenger just trying to get on the horse. He, like, tries to get up, and then just a little bit more. And it is a long, drawn-out... Like, if that was an actor doing that scene, he could get, like, an award for that, just that scene. And it's just like, oh. But in a movie, 
like this, he, it's just it's just too much. It was it was weird for the pacing, and the the further we got into the movie, of uh, both of them, even the Miramax one, I was starting to get confused of what was going on. All of a sudden we were here. All of a sudden we were there. And yeah, it was I was just about like, to say. Is hooking it together, and I was like, even, even the Miramax, like that one's the one that's edited well. I'm just like, I there's a scene here that the whole golden statue thing and getting that prophecy, watching it in both the Miramax and the Recobbled, I was I was not sure what was going on, and the more I tried to think about what happened in the Miramax version, the more I couldn't remember what was happening in the Miramax version too. It was just confusing, and it, yeah. they did this whole journey. For basically no reason. Yeah, and it was... This is now a weird tangent that I'm going to pull back from, but yeah, some of these scenes are really great. They're like masterpieces, but... It takes the thief ten minutes to get the balls down. uh, Which is kind of fun, because they do It's funny, it's hilarious. Pole vault at them. But Um, it does take ten minutes. The other thing is, I know it, Rob, I totally agree with you. This, at the end, some of these pieces are just really good art. If he was an oil painter, I think they said that line. If he was an oil painter yeah. and he painted an oil painting, he would have made his masterpiece and he would have, it would have been great. But he was trying to make animation, which just takes so much longer than an oil painting does. There is a clear end to an oil painting. Animation, he could just keep on adding, keep on snitching it on, keep on going. And I think that would be the fact is, no, this movie would never get done because he would just keep on nitpicking and adding to scenes and making this really long animation that had no plot whatsoever uh, but would just look really good all the way through. Um, But it wouldn't be a great movie. It would just be like... You'd, you'd have you'd I, like this weird it'd be a cult movie it is a cult movie now it is a cult this is that would be a great movie to get high and just watch all the way through and be like blow your mind because mm-hmm. it could yeah. be an exposition it's on animation pretty much <laughs> it, it could I I love there's I, I'm never gonna forget the line and I I'm sorry I cannot remember who to credit on this but in the persistence of vision there's one of the guys that had worked on the project with Dick for a long time on this. And he described the period right before, you know, the uh, agency came in and took everything. And he basically described it as we're six months from deadline and we have two hours of animation and we haven't started the plot. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, that is a perfect way of looking at it because I will say the first act of the film is reasonably coherent it in makes both sense. versions. Yeah, it's together. Yeah, like it, the setup is pretty well there. Film. I gotta say, yeah, it's, yeah. it's basic. Yeah, it's, it's basic, but but it's like yeah, that's just is generally kids' movies, especially in this time period. So it is a basic yeah, exactly. plot that a kid could understand. Mm-hmm. It, exactly, and it's incredibly well animated. Once again, speaking of this from a perspective of the art form not from necessarily the perspective of a movie. Because for him, it was about the art form. Mm. It was about animation. But he had this, this white whale of it being a movie. I've made a movie, thus I've made it as exactly. an artist. Which is, yeah. he didn't know what a movie was. Yeah, that's that's the problem right there. He was an animator yeah. that didn't know how to make a movie. Mm-hmm. So it, It's somewhat, it, it's a crazy thing. 
but it's like I'll make a bunch it's of animation and then the rest will fall into place. But it's well, that's just it. Even I, I don't think we really actually touched on this too much because it's kind of a footnote in the whole process. The war machine scene, mm-hmm. uh-huh. as it's been titled, that was originally put together not in its entirety, but most of it because there's some intercutting of different scenes that are put in throughout it. But the yeah. main war ma- her war machine uh, portion was actually put together for Saudi investors originally. Mm-hmm. That was the first fully completed section of animation that was done. Yes. Yeah. And it did ultimately find its way into the final film. It's very interesting to me. The first act, like I said, is pretty well put together. And it's also the most complete section of animation. There's a few things that still need work, but whether it's recobbled or the Miramax, there's not as much heavy changes that go on there other than, you know... Some omissions of uh, certain carnal delights, Mm -hmm. shall we say. You mean Fido eating tack? Trying to eat tack? Yes. (laughs) I thought they put that into it, though. Oh, no, at the beginning of ours. Oh, oh, they put it at the end. Never mind. Um, Keep on going. He doesn't eat tack. So, yeah. He doesn't eat tack. Yeah, so we've got... I got confused. (laughs) We've got that, and then going into the third act, it's like straight-up war. Mm Mm-hmm. And the third act is incredibly short. Yeah, it's like we're wrapping up now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it seems pretty clear to me, at least looking at that, that like, okay, I'm sure that that was intended from the very beginning to go and be part of the finale. I think that that sequence, for the most part, is more or less complete. But it seems very clear to me also that there is probably supposed to be some transition material at the end of that, and there was supposed to be a lot more leading up to it. Right. Before that. Tech shows up. The second act. Throws a nail at this war machine. <laughs> and then the whole rest of the finale is it blowing up. Yeah. 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 And it's spectacular. Oh, like it's if, such a cool, the machine's what? creative. Oh my goodness. Oh, it is. It is the best animation ever put to film. It is unbelievable visually. That's bold. I really mean it though. Like, just looking at those segments. Hand-drawn. Hand-drawn. You are correct. Now, I'm not saying anything about plot. I'm just saying the detail work in there. The first time that I saw clips of this, having not seen the Persistence of Vision, just clips from this in that Rebel Taxi video, I did not know when this film came out. I did not know anything about its production history. I would have made assumptions that there was... 3D elements in the film. Yeah. It is so strong. It is so fluid. It's not just 24 frames per second of animation that you're looking at there. It is 24 frames of animation, but it is so cleanly put together. Everything looks like it belongs. Everything just fits together so nicely. The thief and all of the crazy things that are going on, seemingly without effort around him, it just looks, it doesn't look like something that human hands could have made, is what I'm saying. It looks, you hear these people, you know, mostly on the History Channel, talking about on how the Sphinx, how all of these Egyptian sculptures couldn't be done by hand. The facial lines, they're so symmetrical, they match up, there's no way the humans could have done it. No, that is underestimating the ability of humans. That is what that movie, that particular sequence is. That is the epitome 
of what hand-drawn animation could be. It is the cleanest, smoothest, most well-laid-out animation sequence I have ever seen. It's a shame that it doesn't belong, or that doesn't belong to a better movie. Mm. That, like Tyler said, there's individual moments mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. As a short film, could have been his masterpiece. But instead, he wanted to make a movie that ended up, if it were ever completed, probably would have been three and a half hours long. Right. It's over. And nobody would ever get through. The Uncobble cuts an hour and a half. I know, I know. I'm just saying, if he were able to complete it the way that his brain kept extending things. With with a normal movie, the climax is a climax of action, a resolution to all the events. This was a climax of animation chops. It was like, we're going to fucking go buck wild with animation for this bad boy. Yeah! And it's like, okay, well, just being visually good is not... Also, yeah, it was just It's like, also the fact that this is the stuff that we did first. This has to go into the film because we put so much effort into it. So this is where the climax is. We already have that done. That's the first thing we did. Yeah. So <laughs> that's also, I think, a, you could tell, too, some scenes, I know watching Uncobbled, it's, you can tell the date because of the dust on some of them where it goes all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. A whole bunch of dust. And they're like, oh, this is the, this is the significantly older stuff. And those scenes we were talking about where he's walking around, you go, oh, there's a lot of dust and a lot of things on these scenes, and you know that these are much older than some of the other ones, and how much just drastically things are changing. But I can't say, I can't say that that is a, yeah, it's like, yeah, you can say this is a great film because of some animation, but it's only certain scenes. It's not yeah. all the way through. Like, yeah, I can, I can hand you uh, a pile of poop. Uh, but there's a single gold nugget in it. Doesn't mean you just still don't have a pile of poop. You have one <laughs> it's gold nugget. It's not poop though. Like it's good. It's, it's just it's good. I'm saying and that drastically yeah. of two extremes, but so uncobbled or recobbled, recobbled or Miramax. Matt, and if you, I feel like if you watched, if you watched the uh, uh, um, the documentary, you also might have an idea of what the uh, that would be the third option. The idea of yeah. what the finest, the and then you can just sit be. with yourself and imagine what it would be like. For yeah, two hours. I think that'd be the best one. I don't know. That one's a little bit. I, I feel. Yeah, I I do feel like I need to say one thing for the audience, mm. just so that people understand here what my answer is going to be, because for me the one to watch is the recobbled cut. Really. Here's the reason why, and it's kind of a weird one. I mean, there's actually two reasons. The first one is, I'm sorry, neither one of these are very good. <laughs> like, just objectively speaking, as films. Neither one of them are winning any prizes. That said, there's things I really like about both of them. The thing that I more want to make point of when it comes to the recobbled cut is you have to understand where this came from. This is a situation on where Warner Brothers slash Miramax did such a fantastic job of just throwing things away. And I do mean that in the most literal sense. The recobbled cut came from a real interest in preservation of film. This is something that's been gaining a lot of steam over the last 20 years, has been trying to go and maintain and capture the essence of filmmaking. Most of the films made before 1965 have not been maintained. Most of them are lost to time. They weren't stored. They weren't kept. 
I believe that there is a necessity in preservation. The thing that stands out about this one is that there are so many people that were involved with this that literally just took stuff that was in trash cans. Held on to snippets, storyboards, animation clips, film reels. The recobbled cut is not just an amass or a mass of content that was taken and just held in a warehouse. The stuff that wasn't used for the Miramax and other cuts of this film were literally thrown away. And only because of people that either worked in these productions or, quite honestly, those who just thought this might be worth something in the future mm. held on to this stuff. This has been the work of a very, very dedicated group of Dick's fans that brought this together. And we're on now the fourth revision. There is new content being found. I won't say constantly, but it's been fascinating seeing from the first version of the recobbled cut all the way through to now on a fourth revision of it. More and more stuff has been found over the years. And right now, there is a movement trying to go and restore other content, which is so badly degraded that it couldn't be used for this. There is a hope one day to be able to go and put together, at least from storyboards, what Dick's vision was for this. This is such a weird thing, even thinking about the Walt Disney Company's Roy E. Disney went and headed up an effort before his death to try to go and recapture as much content from this as possible. Something he contractually could never make money off of. Because he is such a believer in trying to go and hold on to the artistic vision that is film. He was somebody that didn't believe in censorship. He didn't believe in just throwing things away. The Recobbled Cut is a piece of history for more reasons than just a really good set of animation put together in a crazy way. Uh, definitely. I'll be blunt. I think the Miramax version, if you're looking for a film to watch, is the better movie to watch. Mm. The Thief is hilarious with that voiceover track. And honestly, even Matthew Broderick doesn't go and get on my nerves. <laughs> oh, I like Which him. is a statement. You don't like him? Yeah, I no, like in that him. movie, he's pretty good. I like yeah. I personally really it's... like the Uncouple Cut. Not, mostly because every, a lot of people are quiet or silent. I really like yeah, the, no, action, the words through action. Yeah, it's it's dramatic. It's a different experience. I hope that people want to see both versions of it. Because I do think that both of them have merit to it. I will not say that the Miramax version... I, I'm not going to be one of those guys that's like, this is a bastardization of a great man's ideas and concept for what a film could be. This should have been the greatest thing ever. It's like, no, I'm not that guy. The Miramax one... The people who finished that, I think, did a great job. Mm-hmm. They made a film They did as it. much as they could. They made a movie out Yeah, of that's it. just it. A piece of entertainment yeah. that they can... And they, and they gave me some memorable bits on there. I mean, there is that banger in the <laughs> middle of it. All of the music. That song's a banger. It's a good song. The love song's generic. The, uh, I only remember the two songs. No, and then he's in the cell. Yeah. The I Want song. Yeah, yeah, no, it it feels like most of them are chasing Disney, and then we're what happens when you don't go to school. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, lo- I love that. I but would, the recobble. What do you think, is John? Your choice? 
I really have John hasn't yeah. said very much so far, so I want to hear what John has to say. I'm just taking yeah. in all the information. I like it. Um, I have not seen enough to actually uh, make a decision on it. But since the access is better now, I'm really considering sitting down with my nephew and watching one of them and see what he thinks. Oh, he, he would if that's the case, do Miramax. Yeah, Miramax. <laughs> Miramax. Arabian Nights is, I think, the best keywords to look for that one. Yeah, sounds we good. We can give you the link. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think we might just go and link to a couple of things. Like we're 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 not sponsored or anything. I'm gonna go and link to Persistence of Vision. I'm going to link to the Recobbled Cut Mark Four. And I will link to the now public domain movie because Miramax and Warner Brothers decided not to go and renew their license. Yeah, they did, they were literally just trying to break even on this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Disowned. Apparently, it was like on in cereal boxes. That's how they just gave oh, it yeah. away. So, yeah. um, I would have to say the Miramax version. I do respect what the uncobbled versions do, and I think it's a cool thing. I cannot get over how hilarious the thief is. Mm. And for me, it's nostalgic. We had that VHS. I still have the VHS, I believe. Um, And it's just a more entertaining product. Uh, I do Mm -hmm. like what Cole was saying about how it's so silent. It makes it so you can't check your phone. Because you can't just listen. You have to be watching. Oh, yeah. So and and there's so much that's cut from from the Miramax version. Scenes are shortened left and right. Songs are yeah. added. Um, so Well it loses a lot of the cultural significance as well, which I, I will admit, this is something only as an adult I appreciate because I actually do love Arabian folklore. I love I, I love the mystique of the area. And it's weird on how much effort was put into adapting some of that even even just that oracle they went to meet is literally a djinn mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it is a yeah it is a breath of smokeless fire it is a weird thing it's crazy to go and see this human human like demonic form that just becomes anything mm-hmm. But mostly lives in smoke. It's, it's really cool. I'm really glad it's not in the Miramax version it's hardly at all. Weird, yeah. <laughs> oh so, my god. For me, I'd recommend the Miramax version. When I was recommending it to Tyler, obviously I didn't have all this information. But when we first started watching the Recobble version, I was like, "What the heck is this? This is so boring. Let's watch this." And then when I had all the information, it was interesting. But if you were flicking through and you just picked a random movie and it was the uncobbled version and you didn't know what you were watching unless you had a keen eye for animation and knew without context it's it's yeah. not what i would choose um yeah because yeah. of that uh i would also pick the the miramax because it is a film some of the song it's got a great that, ba- that one banger the other songs <laughs> are just sort of mm-hmm. eh. um, <laughs> but it has more of a follow through it feels right the uncobbled i had scenes where it was like flicking between scenes of like why are why are they flicking between these scenes this scene should have just stayed together where he does all his parts i get it they're happening at the same time but we don't need to know what he means is it's flipping between zigzag's plot the thief's plot and the cobbler's plot because they're all doing their own things too quickly yeah where it's just like it, yeah. Literally, it's just a single scene of like Zigzag going, 
show me your master, and then it's just cut back. I'm like, five seconds of like five seconds. Yeah. That could have been with the, the rest of his zigzag gets a turn, scene. the thief gets a turn, the cobbler gets a turn. The thief yeah, in like these weird second chunks. I was like, this could all have been put together with his own thing, because that's how a good story would go. They go, this is his story, end chapter, next chapter could be these guys doing their thing, can happen at the same time. We kind of get that. We're, we're understanding that this is a story. That's how stories work. They will meet up if they meet up at the same time. Clearly, their stuff happened in a similar amount of time. But it was like jumping and getting a little bit jarring and cutting harshly. And I get it. That's the uncobbled version. And yeah, they put a lot of work into it to find something. But man, is it if they decided to put those there because that's how their storyboards that they found did it? That then goes tracks back to uh, uh, how they originally wanted the story to go uh, because that's really weird to have it that way like that, that also means hey they had these ideas they're storyboarding they just had a whole bunch of animation and they still they didn't finish the film they never got to flesh it out at the end as you kind of do which would added so much more that I think that is another step that they would not have gotten through because when they wanted to start fleshing out I bet you they would never want to cut anything because like, like Rob said they had two hours of animation and no story so when they start fleshing from there to get a story they would have had to cut something to make a story make sense uh, because that is going to happen um, yeah. but I bet you he would not want to have done that because they have spent so much time on all this animation they wanted just to put it all in there and it would just not make sense and be incoherent and be very jarring on it look very good but be very jarring on a story wise and again it's yeah, it's 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 a feat, um, and it's impressive, but that doesn't make it an entertaining movie. Mm. Um, to have to have I agree one hundred percent. Have to have all this back knowledge of going into it of to understand it. Yeah, to understand what's going on is like oh, yeah. You have to really watch the uh, you have to watch the um, uh, the documentary Resistance of Vision and then watch that movie yeah. and put those two together and you're like now that's like. A movie. Almost. I yeah. think the trilogy it, it is... order is Miramax, Persistence of Vision, Uncobbled, or Recobbled. I think that I think that's the trilogy. I, it's the trilogy. That's the trilogy. I, I, you know what? I'm willing to go with that. You need one. a palate cleanser between the two movies because yeah. if you watch them back to back, your brain will melt from the beautiful animation. I and I will go and say, honestly, I kind of wish that I had been able to see it that way mm. because I saw this Persistence of Vision. Recobbled cut, and then Arabian Nights. Oh, and I don't think I'll ever be able to appreciate Arabian Nights the same way as a lot of other people can, because of how I had the experience. Because I got the backstory, yeah, I got the vision, yeah, and then I got the result. Well, we have we have the thief and the cobbler at home. Yeah. <laughs> The thief and the cobbler at home. It's Amy with a Miramax VHS. And it does. It will, it will point out a bunch of things that if you didn't know about would have made it like an enjoyable movie where you're just like, oh, I'm yeah. just here to That's enjoy funny. this movie. But I, well, I find it to be a fascinating experience. So, of, like of uh, incoherent, uh, jarring, and uh, slapped together, I think it's time we end this episode. So what I was going to say I, was can, hold on. to end this whole thing, I think... It's an okay film. I. Mm. 
Oh, you, you know how I want to end this? You know he That's is. That's not right. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's no, no, an no, okay honestly, I, when you know the background. Yeah, no, I, I will go and say, I don't think Cole's wrong on there. I'm not there. saying it's I, the best I think thing that, in the world. It's just okay. Oh, okay no, no. Yeah, okay, no, yeah. what, what I think that we should, I think what we can all agree on is what a baller Vincent Price is. The fact that he was still alive. Yeah, he died in 2019. When this got taken over. He died in 2019. <laughs> No, no, not that. You're thinking a dick. Who are we talking about? Yeah, yeah. Oh, th- no. Vincent, Vincent Price. Price. Yeah. The Price. Of- Sorry. Yeah, he died one yeah, year yeah, after no. the Miramax version was released. Yeah, yeah. So he, he yeah, lived this it. guy, yeah, this guy, such a freaking baller. He didn't even get brought back into the studio. He nailed the initial first cut audio. So damn well that neither studio wanted to go and have him back to go and recut or re-edit anything. They just left him and animated around him. Yeah. Uh, my yeah. God, what a legend I, that guy is! If we can take anything, and then it, it came out, place. he'd be like, "Oh yeah, yeah I guess I did do that." Because <laughs> yeah, I, I like to go and end things. <laughs> I like to end things on a positive note. He wasn't just the disembodied head from the Thirteen Ghosts of Scooby Doo. He was a real actor. Mm-hmm. And arguably one of the greatest voices of all time. Well, thank you guys that. for listening to our voices. We would love if you uh, keep listening to us. Spotify is really nice and convenient, but you can really find us on anywhere free podcasts are sold. Uh, if you've seen this movie, if you have a random VHS of it or a DVD of Persistence of Vision and you appreciate us covering that, give us an email. If you wish we had talked about something else, email us about that and we will. We're like we're cool like that. Uh, follow us on yep. Instagram. That's probably where we're the most active, which is a joke because we're very inactive on social media. We have a Twitter. You can. We really should do something with this, though. We will. We will. And um, if you and if you oh, want yeah. us to do something like this again, let us know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We take suggestions. I actually soccer have, rangers podcast at gmail. I actually have an idea for the next one. Good night, everybody. Bye. Brigands, take us out. Sent here twenty years ago by the king to guard his borders. We don't know when to return because no one here can read his orders. Lately things have been so bad there just are no words to tell it. And if we should find a word, I'm sure none of us could spell it. We miss our mothers and our fathers. It's a painful, sad condition. It's hard to tell you just how much, because we never learned addition. So we wait around and scare any traveler passing through here. Since we never learned to try, it's the only thing to do here. That's what happens when you don't finish school. Bum 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 bum